0: Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the IC's Boardroom Talk Series, which tests the investment cases of London's listed companies. My name's Emma Powell, financial services writer at the IC, and today I'm joined by Anthony Coombs, chairman of SNU, which provides car finance and recently entered the bridging loan market for small house builders. Anthony, thanks for joining me. Good to be um, here. I was wondering, actually, if we could just start off, maybe you could explain a bit about how SNU goes about gaining new business, because obviously you've, you've had quite a rapid growth in terms of customer numbers.
1: Yes. Well, um, I mean, we're, we're mainly broker-orientated. In other words, we go through finance brokers like 24-7, Zuto, um, and Evolution, one or two uh, more. And we've got about 35 of those on our panel. Um, and the market has moved that way really since about two thousand and five. We used to go direct to garages, but obviously the insurance regulations made it more difficult for them to uh, to to be allowed to talk to us and to provide finance so uh, so the brokers took over and that coincided with the rise of the internet and uh, and that's the way it works and we're very fortunate because I mean we operate in a market which is uh, which is very robust, which is strong, mainly because of the good uh, employment situation at the moment. And we get about 80,000 applications every month uh, for our products and we write of, of those about two, two and a half thousand.
0: Uh, do, do you think you'll be able to maintain the same pace of growth going forward?
1: Um, that's a very good question. Um, We've never rushed for growth. We've never given targets for growth. And in fact, in the last period, um, we've written the same amount of business as the record amount we did in the same period last year. And that has been deliberate because, I mean, we, we always think that after a period when you've been growing at about 20, 25 percent a year, there ought to be a pause. You've got to make sure that um, the quality is right in your book debt. It is very strong at the moment, but we just thought that it would be a responsible thing to do just to, to take stock and we anticipate that growth will resume um, after that. Not possibly on the same level as we've done in the past because, I mean, 25% on 25% or 25% is by definition more difficult to do. But we think that we've got a very, very strong market. We've only got about 1% of it and we think there's a big potential.
0: Is that what you're trying to do then? Can grow market share? You think there's a lot of opportunity to do that? Yes,
1: I mean we think that if we provide the right product for our for our ultimate customers, which are the people who uh, who borrow money from us, and provide the right service for our brokers, then we can take market share. And I think we probably have been taking market share of the narrow market that we serve because we're in non prime used car uh, finance, providing HP finance, not PC finance we probably have between ten and fifteen percent and we think that we can grow that provided that we continue to provide the same level of service um, for our both kinds of customers the brokers and obviously our ultimate customers how do you define um non-prime? It's a very good question again. I mean, it's, it's, it's a bit like an elephant, you know, you know it when you see it, but it's a bit difficult to define it. It's just below prime and a little bit further down, but it's not subprime. Because subprime, very often you have distressed borrowers um, and people take advantage of that. We don't do that. We, we go for people who, just for instance, I mean, you may have had a, a steady job, but Um, two or three years ago you missed a couple of payments on your credit card now that would show up as a default and some of the prime lenders would say we don't touch you and that i think is is actually very unfair but nevertheless that's the that's the the case and it's those kind of decent people who've got good intent to repay who need the car for getting to work or getting the kids to school those are the kind of people we deal with
0: as with any kind of credit um, or finance company, impairments will be a big thing that investors will look at, obviously, you know, when you uh, release your updates. And
1: impairments, as a
0: proportion of revenue, have been rising.
1: Um,
0: is that a concern at all?
1: Well, it's it's a concern in a, in a broad context. And obviously, we want to make sure that the trend comes down. And it's quite a big uh, ship now. We've got 56,000 customers and we've got about £250 million worth of net uh, receivables. And recent signs are that the quality of new applications is going up and we would therefore expect that impairment trend. And we're not saying when. We're actually to return uh, to the record low levels of of what we've been able to achieve the last few years. Nevertheless, even with the current figure, about 25.8%, we're well within In the um, ten-year average, so you know, of course, it's 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 something that we're looking at. That's one of the reasons why we thought, well, it's a sensible thing to have a relative pause in terms of the growth of the business. Uh, We think that that will be resumed, uh, and we think that the trend in uh, in in uh, impairment will actually return to what we regard as more normal, possibly not as low as uh, as it has been, um, you know, in the four or five years ago when we were effectively writing prime customers at nearer non-prime rates because the banks, you know, after the crash had really were turning down people they really shouldn't have turned down uh, for prime business. But nevertheless, um, we think it'll come back to a a level which is uh, consistent with with, uh, what we need. And I must also say that even at levels of impairment higher than what we've been getting at the moment, our return on capital employed has still been very, very good. And we anticipate that that trend will continue as well.
0: Why have they risen then?
1: I think the the reason, part of the reason that they've risen is that I think there may be some customers, and we're only talking about a very small minority, maybe ten percent, ten fifteen percent, who. During the period, and hopefully it's coming to an end, the latest figure, uh, figures show, during the period when real incomes were being constrained, may have borrowed elsewhere in order to be able to maintain a standard of living which they hadn't done previously. And that we we may not have been aware of in some cases, we may have been aware of in other cases, and that's meant that the constraint on their financial circumstances may have have, have increased. So we think that prudently... Uh, we've adjusted some of our underwriting criteria in order to be able to take account of that very small minority of customers. And uh, and we think that that will effectively mean an impairment turns to returns to historical levels, although it's still historically well below our 10-year average, which I think is quite important to make, a uh, point to make.
0: What is the 10-year average out of interest?
1: It's around 26.4%. Okay, so it's, well, it's yeah, still
0: it's, quite it's close. Still, it's
1: still... It's, 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 well it's it's close but not very close, and particularly given the fact that the trend is likely to turn back down again in due course um, i don't see that as a as a problem
0: and how do you ensure then that you that you write risk at an adequate price
1: it's quite a sophisticated thing. I mean we obviously write rate to risk, and obviously we have certain kinds of um, products for certain kinds of customers. That's what responsible lending is all all about. And it involves looking at the individual circumstances of the customer, looking at where they live, looking at what their outgoings are, looking at what their previous record has been. So it's not just a question of economic circumstances, both local and national, or even of their income. It's what their outgoings are, how they've reacted to um, their debt commitments in the past. I mean, we have a team of about seven or eight statisticians and mathematicians all working on the algorithms that go towards this. And I'd have thought... It's, it's it's true to say that one of the strongest elements in the 19-year <laughs> continued growth, uh, in, both in terms of profitability and, and, and sales, of advantage has been its underwriting creative, uh, capability. That's why the quality of debt has been so strong. That's why it remains strong. And we are continually refining that. I mean, I've just mentioned, you know, in the in the uh, recent months, we've refined our underwriting criteria. We'll continue to do that. One, because it's commercial Sensible to do so, and secondly, because that's what responsible lenders do and ought to do.
0: Um, as you said, you, we did touch on that you did slightly tweak your under, underwriting standards. Um, why was that exactly?
1: Well, I mean, precisely for what I've, the reasons I've been I've been saying. We well, are always tweaking the underwriting standards because I mean, you, you're you're talking about a moving target, if you like. The, the economy is always changing. People's circumstances are always changing. The job market is always changing. So, given the fact that we're in a, a part of the market where possibly people's available income, um, is slightly more constrained than, in, in, say, the prime area. It's very important indeed that we too do take cognizance of that and continually watch exactly how the debt is performing and that has been one of the strengths of the business in the last 19 years which is why we've been able recently the 10 years to produce record low levels of uh, impairment and even over our 20 years of business being able to maintain a level of impairment against revenue which is both responsible in terms of responsible lending and commercially viable.
0: Have you seen any change I don't know within the past year in the types of customers that are making applications in terms of their risk profile or is it been quite steady
1: it's pretty steady and the reason for that is that our brokers make sure it is i mean the brokers send us those applications that they feel will be of interest to us now we we actually transact a relatively small proportion of the total applications we get it's only about three percent and there's a whole variety of reasons for that about 25 percent only 75 percent are rejected by us um on very sensible grounds and of that of the 25 percent about 10% actually transact. Why? Because... 90% 90% may get a better deal elsewhere, good for them, that's precisely what they're entitled to, and that's only right and only as it should be. And other people may just not go ahead with the car, I mean, the couples may fall out, they don't want the car anymore, and so, so it doesn't proceed to transaction. That has really been the uh, the, the, the pattern in the business for, for quite a long time. And, you know, it's one that we, that, that we're, we adjust to. I mean, 80,000 applications takes a lot of dealing with, but we can give an, a decision in principle as to whether we're prepared to lend to somebody looking at the kind of uh, matters that we've been talking about in about eight seconds, which obviously our broker partners really appreciate because it's important that they, because they're in competition with other brokers, um, it's important that they can produce an answer for somebody who's making an application for finance ASAP.
0: I'm guessing growing the kind of broker network is very important then.
1: It is, but it's also very important to keep your main brokers um, uh, happy. And we have five or six brilliant um, partners. We've got 35, um, possibly slightly less brilliant, but nevertheless very, very good um, partners in the broking um, field. And don't forget the internet is a natural oligopoly um, because who looks beyond the first five when you google you know used car finance it's generally the first five we've got a bit of a grip you don't normally go to page two or page three in order to find a broker and so there is a natural oligopoly and i would think about 50 percent of our transactions come from three or four of the top brokers as a result
0: I just wanted to touch on actually um, PCP. You mentioned it earlier in terms of the fact that you don't you don't write any PCP business. Is that right?
1: Yes, we 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 don't. We but, don't think it's suitable for the used car market. To be honest. With you.
0: But there has been quite a lot in the press during the past year, I'm sure you've seen it, um, about the US market, PCP market, and some kind of concerns around whether there will be a collapse in the UK PCP market and a knock-on impact on uh, used car values. I don't know if, if that's a concern for you or whether you think it would have an impact on uh, demand for finance.
1: We certainly haven't seen any evidence of it whatsoever, despite the significant growth in the PCP market. And and the, if you look at the Trader latest statistics, I think they go to February, March, you'll see that actually used car prices are continuing to rise. And, and we're finding, obviously, the applications for our business are, are very robust as well. We don't do PCP. The reason is, is that, and partly because... On on the basis of the kind of values we're going to write, there wouldn't be enough at the end to give people uh, sufficient uh, sufficient uh, comfort uh, that they've made the right decision to do P C P. And and the second reason is that um, a lot of our uh, customers like to own the vehicle, you know, finish. That's done. I've paid for the vehicle. Most vehicles now will give you at least four or five years' life after you finish the four or five years that it takes to pay for it. So that gives you nine years of life. Most people want to have done with the finance. They don't want to be re-going into the market and then continually having to pay uh, as you do under PCP. And that's a Unless, of course, you buy and p- produce a lump sum right at the end of the PCP term. So, you know, I, we don't think it's suitable for our market and certainly not at the kind of car values, which is an average of six, six thousand, maybe to twelve thousand pounds that we're talking about. The PCP has generally been more popular for the more expensive kind of cars. And we expect generally that to uh, to, to remain the case.
0: Just finally, last question uh, before we finish. um, I just wanted to ask you about the Aspen Finance, that business in terms of providing the bridging loans, whether you have uh, any type of growth targets. Do you think it's going to become a much bigger part of the overall SNU group?
1: Yeah, another very good question. And, and, And we wouldn't have started it on a hobby basis. In other words, we only want to do this business if we make a substantial profit over the next three or four years. Substantial profit, what is that? Well, in our terms, it's probably £5 million a year. It'll add to the diversification of the uh, group's earnings. And we think that there's a lot of potential in that business. It's estimated to reach about £8.8 billion uh, a year by 2020. And uh, we think that in the refurbishment market, in particular, uh, we think there's a huge amount of potential. And Aspen's done very well. I mean, it had a slow start. We'll say that because we we possibly underestimated the importance of credibility with brokers, because it's still a broker oriented market, just as the car finance market is. But they've actually gained traction. They're up for several uh, industry awards now. I think that they get on very well with the brokers. Their reputation is growing, and they're in profit. So on a monthly basis, I think that's first class, given the fact that they've only been going for a year and we've got high hopes for them.
0: Okay, great. Well, I think we'll leave that there. So Anthony, thanks very much for joining me.
1: Great. Thanks very much indeed.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more.